This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets face off against Cardiff City in what was billed as the relegation battle of the season, and actually a season-defining game for the Owl Boys in Clarendon Blue. This is the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome to the Known and Never podcast, Clarence. The game that we've all been building up to, the one that was the bigger, the one that was hailed as the relegation battle at the bottom of the table, is over and the Clarets are victorious. Oh my God, what a... Game. Actually, I'm not entirely sure that it was that nerve-wracking. Maybe the second half more than the first. Um, I, I've got to say, Robbie and I were talking before the game and I wasn't that nervous going into the game for some reason. It's like I knew I was supposed to be nervous, but I wasn't. Um, I was pretty calm and that first half performance was exactly what I needed just to calm um, any lingering doubts in my mind. I thought we were utterly fantastic in that first half. Um, let's be honest, we should have been about 3-0 up, I think, um, at half-time. I think a couple of Westwood one-on-one on the keeper and I think Wood in the first what five minutes um, should have put one away as well so we're maybe a little bit unfortunate to only be one goal ahead at half time um, but perhaps unsurprisingly Cardiff came at us in that second half they were always going to they effectively had 45 minutes to try and save their season I know they're now looking to battle between Brighton um, and themselves rather than us but still I think they needed to beat both Brighton and Burnley if they were going to have um, any chances of staying in the Premier League so they we knew that they was going to be tough in the second half because they had to throw everything at us um we did look i think a little bit vulnerable in the opening stages of that second half um and certainly um for want of that bizarre um penalty situation which i I still haven't seen back i've just landed um back home after turf and i think um i think i need to see it because it was bizarre that we had penalty given um just as I was saying that we were looking a little bit nervy, then it was overruled, and then there was the big fight with, with, with um, Barnes, who then got booked, and there was all sorts going on. Um, but I think actually that that old melee maybe worked in Cardiff's favour more than ours because it really settled them down um, and maybe gave them a little bit more determination than than uh, than they had in that first half. But we, we we rode it out and an absolutely fantastic piece of individual skill for that second goal by um, Young McNeil. It was right in front of me when he was on that. Uh, wing trying to get the ball in and it just looked like he was going to go to the corner and he just skipped past a couple of, of defenders and, and put that ball in for Wood who just had a very easy well actually to be honest it looked like it was maybe going in 
himself that he would score but obviously Wood just made sure and put it over the line which I think was the right thing to do um, so lots to talk about um, we'll have a look at those controversial decisions I've just seen on Twitter that our friend Colin is uh, <laughs> absolutely apoplectic with rage um, at the moment so I'm going to settle down I'm going to re-watch the game again and, and talk through some talking points and Robbie, Dave and I will, uh, will start recording Monday night we'll be with you and we'll, uh, we'll go through that but in the meantime that is Burnley safe in my opinion fourth consecutive season in the Premier League we will be playing top flight football in Turf Moor again next season albeit it's not mathematically confirmed yet but we are um, there's no way that you need more than 39 points I don't think to survive this year um, so what I'm going to do um, I'll speak to you soon And here we are back in studio mode after that immediate post-match reaction. I am joined as ever with regular panellists, Statman Dave and Robbie Kopak. Gentlemen, welcome to the survival party. Hallelujah. Good to be here. <laughs> very good to be here. Now, guys, we talked last week very much about how this was undeniably a season-defining game for the Clarets and how it was billed as the relegation battle. Now, um, actually, as it's turned out, there is going to be another the relegation battle as, as Cardiff face Brighton to try and um, sort out that, that final remaining relegation spot. But the Clarets came out victorious, 11 points clear with, what, just four games to go. Um and I, I think we're feeling pretty confident. Robbie, what was your take on the weekend? It was really good, weren't it? It was, it, it was just a, a great performance. First half, I haven't seen us in that much control at Turf Moor for, for quite some time. Um, just the opening 45 minutes were just relentless in terms of the chances we created. Uh, it should have been out of sight. Sean Dyke said that in his post-match press conference. Um, but Cardiff obviously come out fighting second half without really testing Heaton and we managed to... Uh, secured a win right on injury time. Yeah, it was definitely a positive performance, wasn't it? I think maybe for the first sort of five or ten minutes or so, Robbie, there was a, a little bit of tentativeness. I wouldn't go as far as to say it was nervousness, but there was a, a point where the Clarets just wanted just to put the feelers out and see whether Cardiff would come out at 100 miles an hour. But after that opening five minutes, we were just so in control and very positive and very direct, I thought. Yeah, I thought every single player was really, really good as well. I thought... You know, again, I mentioned it last week. Jack Cork thought you were excellent again. Him and Westwood have really started to complement each other in the last. You've really noticed that in the last five six weeks, it's really seemed to click. Um, Matthew Lawton come back in again. I think it's his first game at turf uh, this year, and he he looked like he'd been playing all season. Uh, Dwight McNeil just gets better and better. We say that again every week, and uh, Chris Wood again outstanding absolutely I'm very pleased to see Chris Wood playing as well as he is at the moment and I mean I know we've still probably got an offside problem with Chris Wood in the blessing just the, the style of, of attacking play that he he puts on every single week he is he's offside more than any player I think I've ever seen in my life but you know as Dyche says when he when he manages to beat that trap he, he puts himself in such a, a fantastic position that he, he usually always scores because he's he is so far ahead of the, the defenders um Dave, do you share those concerns? Concerns? Do you share those views of Robbie? You must have been impressed with what you saw on Saturday. Yeah, first half in particular, I thought uh, Burnley were really impressive. Took the momentum from the Bournemouth game um, into that half, and it's what we needed really. The the good atmosphere prior to kick off, and uh, the, the players really took to it that first half. 
Um, and well, at, at half time anyway, I was scratching my head thinking, how are we only one goal ahead? Because we had uh, numerous chances in that first half and uh, one one goal didn't really reflect that first 45 minutes. No, they really didn't. And I think if we look at the, those um, individual chances, Dave, in that first half, I think that the three ones that really stand out for me, there was the the Wood opportunity quite early on in the game where he just glanced his header um, just shy of the post. Um, and then there were two chances for poor Ashley Westwood, whose teammates just kept putting him straight through one-on-one with a keeper. And you've got to feel for the guy, didn't you? He's like, what are you doing passing it to me? Well, yeah, there is that. I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's scored his first goal for Burnley, uh, the one he scored from uh, a corner against Liverpool. And then the one at Bournemouth was his first goal from open play. So um, he's not had... Uh, too many chances, not certainly not converted chances for uh, for Burnley. He's not been that sort of player. He's been more of a um, sitting back. He's not really uh, had many chances in front of goal. He took it really well at Bournemouth. Um, had two really good chances on Saturday, and just I, I don't know whether it was just confidence or um, just wanted to take an extra touch. The defender came back across. I mean, I think the keeper saved the second one, didn't he? And um, went out for a corner. Um, but you would have hoped he would have uh, bagged one of those two chances because they were really good um, one-on-one chances with the goalkeeper in that uh, first 45 minutes. Yeah, they really were. Um, I, I agree with you, Dave. I think the second one was probably a stronger chance than the first. Um, but there's, there's. I heard one guy in the ground who sits around me, and it wasn't, it wasn't particularly nasty. It was, it was born out of frustration. He was just saying, "Oh God, he's just got to chip it. He's just got to chip it over the keeper there, and it's in the back of the net." And I'm like, "Oh, come on." You know, Ashley Westwood is is probably going to end up being my player of the season, I think. Um, I know we had this conversation last week and I was still on the fence. Side note, I am still on the fence. Um, But, you know, expecting Ashley Westwood to run one-on-one with the keeper and chip it over the keeper and, and put it in the back of the net, number one, that's a pretty hard skill in itself. And number two, it's not the kind of skill that you would expect a tough, resilient central defender to have in his armory. It's it's more of the like of Chris Wood, Dwight McNeil, Good Munson, Brady, those kind of flair players who would make that move. And and I kind of feel like when Ashley Westwood gets in that spot, he's almost got to treat it like a penalty. He's almost got to treat it like he's just got to hit it low and hard and hope it goes in the net. And to be fair, on both occasions he did that, but you know, the keeper made himself pretty big and managed to to put him off for both of them. Um I think one of the things, uh, Robbie, that, that struck me with that half time is just like you mentioned before, that the control that the players had. But considering that Cardiff were a team who knew that this was pretty much the last chance saloon, well, not maybe the, the full last chance saloon, but they simply had to beat Cardiff and Burnley. Uh, oh my God. They had to defeat both Brighton and Burnley to stand any chance of surviving this season. Were you perhaps surprised to see that they didn't come out more direct and more going for it? I thought they were pretty like defensive minded in that first 45 minutes. I was surprised to see that. No, they they kind of set up the way I expected them to. I thought they would try and stay in, stay in the game as long as possible and try and keep it as nil-nil. And then the last 10 minutes, uh, really throw caution to the wind and I think first half they were really disappointed I think maybe they let the occasion get to them they didn't really get close to us they struggled to deal with Barnes and Chris Wood and then uh, Ashley Westwood affecting higher up the pitch I think they really struggled to to deal with that and it, it wasn't until really the second half where they've really come out but at that point they had, they had nothing to lose and they've penned us back for the best part of the first 20 minutes of the second half 
Um, and then there's the whole penalty stuff, which we'll come on to later. But I felt after after 70 minutes, I saw that it, you, you felt like they were starting to run out of ideas. They ran out of steam. And I think we saw the game out quite comfortably in the end. Yeah, it's interesting what you said then about, um, I, I guess, the tactics that they adopted. It sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Sitting back and <laughs> and trying to keep it nil-nil as long as possible. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, Dave, was... The golfing class was very evident for me on Saturday, and I don't know if you agree. And sometimes you look at Burnley and you think, oh, you know, they're going to be struggling in the relegation zone every single season. And, you know, with our squad and with our budget, we're always going to be scrapping at the bottom. But actually, I'm really starting to feel that we have built a side that is better than that. And maybe this season is going to be the last season where we are scrapping at the bottom. Because the the difference in the squad class and the difference in the attitude, and for me, the fitness levels as well, was a real big golfing class, I thought, on Saturday. I don't know if you agree, Dave. I think when you look at it as well, there's um, the, the first half this season's a, a, a blip. You look at the, the points we've gathered since Christmas. We've got t- um, 27 points. Already we've got four games to play, so that's, that's just in 15 games in the half season. Uh, Burnley's best half season in the Premier League is the first half of last season, when we're doing really well up to Christmas. Uh, we've got 32 points in those 19 matches. If we get five points in the remaining four games, I know it's going to be a big ask because there's some really uh, tough games we've got coming up. If we were to get five points in those four games, we'd match that points total. So that shows how Burnley have been in the second half of the season and equally, how uh, disappointed we were in the first half of the season. But, you know, we've really turned it around uh, since Boxing Day. Um, and credit to Sean Dyche and the players for uh, knuckling down and showing what they are capable of. Yeah, so I think that's where I was getting at with that. I mean, that's obviously from a points perspective, Dave. And that obviously shows on paper that what we're saying is, is pretty accurate. But do you feel that that's showing... I guess where I was getting at with my question is... it just. Is that showing on the pitch? Because for me, it really is. I'm starting to see when we play some of these teams that are in the bottom that we are a better squad and we are actually a much better established Premier League side. We might not be as good as your Leicesters and your Bournemouth and your West Hams, but we are a better side than a relegation battle, I think. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's with with the league the way it is, and the the, the so called big six sides and the the finances and uh, resources they've got available to them. It's very difficult for anyone else. So be, below that six, theoretically, anyone can get pulled into it. Even your Leicesters, even your Everton's. Um, there's no team in there that's immune to it. Um, so I think it's difficult to say, oh, well, you know, we're, we're established and we're not going to have the same issues next season or the season after, because I think the way it is with the six and the 14, um, that's always going to be the case. You don't have to have much of a bad run, you know, four, four or five uh, poor results at the start of the season and the pressure's really on. But you want a side who can get you out of that. We had one point after uh, after five matches um, that the second half of the season we have managed to pull it around but I think you're right to some extent we've had the um, squad and the experience to do that I think in previous seasons you go back to the um, the campaign in, in 14-15 when we went down we had a poor start to that season we didn't really have the quality and depth of quality to get us out of it that season whereas this season I think we do have um, a much stronger squad I think the, the, the starting eleven stronger 
and the squad generally stronger. I think Sean Dyche is trying to get it set up so he's got cover in every position. So you know, Phil Barsley has a um, an accident with a um, a ping pong table. He's out. Matt Lowton straight back in. He hasn't played since. I think he came on as subbed in the at uh, Huddersfield the start of the year, but he hadn't played since then. He slotted straight back into the squad, uh, straight back into the starting eleven. Um, and you never know he'd been away. So that's I think that's the kind of mentality that Sean Dyche wants to try and build with his uh, team and also with his squad and trying to have the right players to be able to step up as well. So, um, And I also think as well that the uh, summer transfer windows are going to be vital to try and take it on a step further. I think we, um, well, we've discussed it in length, haven't we, in previous podcasts about the, uh, um, the transfer windows, the one uh, last summer uh, and also uh, January where, Obviously, not very much happened. Um, this summer is going to be a vital one to make sure that we can take that on a step further and bring the sort of quality of players in who are going to be able to um, help us establish ourselves within the division and push on if possible. I mean, it's possible we might have another season like uh, like last season. Reality is that that might have been the upper end of the performance scale. The first half of this season's the lower end. We want to try and eke that forward, try and push that forward and try and build momentum and do that on a season-by-season basis. And hopefully uh, next season we don't have the sort of problems we had in the uh, first half of this season. Yeah, I think I think there's always going to be a, a situation in the Premier League where you have one good half and one bad half. I think that's the nature of it. Because if you think about it, you're going to struggle against the top 10 size because there's the top six plus Everton plus whoever's the other three, they are naturally strong sides who tend to to pick up points away from home and win at home. Um, so that means there's only you know nine games where you can expect to, to win as, as many of those as you can. So that, in a crude calculation, you know equates to being one half of the season being good, one half being bad. Um, I just want to back up a minute though. There as a quick side note, a free accident up with a ping pong table. What on earth did I miss here? Is that what happened to Bardsley? I've not even seen this. Uh, yeah, I think I think it came out in one of the. That um, might have been the post-match press conference. Um, it, there, there was a question as to why he wasn't playing. Um, apparently, there was a game of head tennis the players were having, and uh, um, presumably in, in some leisure room they have at uh, the training ground. And and um, Phil Barsley ended up with a, a nasty gash to his thigh. He'd actually uh, posted on Instagram the uh, stitches from his thigh. that looked uh, something like out of a, a horror film. The scar must have been about I don't know five or six inches on his uh, on his thigh. Um, so yeah, he, the accident was uh, a freak one, and it was um, banging into a, a ping pong table in the leisure room apparently while they were having a game of head tennis. Wow, I genuinely did not know this. I probably should maybe concentrate on following less of his missus's Instagram and maybe follow him. That's hilarious. A ping pong. We've had some very bizarre things happen to us at Burnley. Um, Robbie Stick. Actually, Dave, before we move on to Robbie and talk about the goal, um, just obviously picking back up on that idea that we are perhaps a stronger Premier League side than we give ourselves credit for. What did the stats look like from the game on Saturday? Because I think there was some quite good stats in our favour about shots and, and things like that compared to Cardiff. Uh, yeah, well, both, both teams have the same number of shots with 14 each, but um, only two of Cardiff are on target. Um, when you look at the um, expected goals, obviously that's coming in more and more now, um, in terms of you know trying to get a feel for, on average, what would a team achieve in terms of goals from the chances they had. Uh, Cardiff had one really good chance. The, the one decent chance they had was the one from... 
um, Hoyle at quite a central position. That was just after an hour. Um, that was probably the best chance that they had, and then lots of little ones that kind of added up. Um, Burnley obviously had lots of really good chances, um, took two of them. Uh, Ashley Westwood, as we said already, uh, had a couple as well. Um, uh, Chris Wood hit the post. Um, and when you look at it uh, team by team, side by side, um, it's almost up towards three, the expected goals that Burnley would have got on average from the chances that they created, whereas Cardiff was 0.8. So, um, I mean, you, you can't read too much into it, but it can be useful as a guideline just to see, well, uh, on average, how would how would things uh, perform? At the end of the day, it's it's whether the players do take their chances and put them away, and, and that can vary so much game by game, but um, it can be useful just to have that in the background as an indicator um, Burnley do tend to actually um, overperform expected goals, both in terms of they tend to uh, score more goals than you would expect from the chances they create, but equally they don't tend to concede as many as the other team's um, chances that they get, if that makes uh, makes sense. Um, and it's one of these things, you, you look at um, quite a lot of these analysts who um, uh, are out there and, and presenting on these things, and Sean Dyche is a real outlier. They have the, the models and they have these graphs, and they show the dots, and there's sort of this one over to the right-hand side. Think, well, who's who's that on their own over there? And it's it's Sean Dyche, you know, the, the, the way that Burnley are set up. And I think a lot of that is to do with um, the way Burnley set up they're allowing teams to have shots from longer distances and they have an expected goals um, percentage of 0.05 per shot. But if someone has 20 of them, they're all adding up to, you know, one of those 20 is going to go in. But the way it works out is that um, Burnley tend to overperform the models, I think partly because of the types of chances they allow other teams to, to get. One of the things that's interesting in this season is that Burnley have conceded a lot of goals from outside the area. So maybe that's the difference in the first half of the season, whereas in previous years um, we've not ended up conceding as many goals from those chances um, in the first half of this season. We certainly did, and there's been a lot of goals from outside the box during the 18-19 campaign. Excellent stuff. I feel like I sent you on a bit down a bit of a rabbit hole then. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly, to me, feels like not just from a from a I guess a spectator's perspective but also like you say from the stats itself in that we are perhaps not being given the credit that we deserve and maybe we are not giving the team credit that it deserves ourselves as fans um Rob, uh, Robbie obviously moving on from that I guess quite bespoke analysis turning back to matters on the pitch we went in at half time just one nil ahead even though as Dave mentioned we could have probably been three or four ahead um just talk us through that beautiful, beautiful goal to get us on the lead, though. You can tell we've been working on set pieces for quite some time. It's probably been something that we probably haven't exploited as a club as much as you'd think. Uh, but this season, in particular, you can see with the, the whip corners right to the back post, we saw it at Anfield and we caused problems with it at Bournemouth. And it really come really come into fruition in recent weeks. And it was causing problems again. And it, it just... Felt like it was a matter of time until we did actually score from a corner again today uh, on Saturday, and um, the it was a really whipped corner this time round. Usually it's more floating towards the back post, but really whipped. And Chris Wood was left unmarked, which was six yards out, and I know he divides opinion, but he's not going to miss from there. Yeah, it's not. And I think for me that the biggest change in our abilities at corners is young Dwight McNeil and and. Robbie, that one that he put in was it was just perfect. There's just what a gift to Chris Wood, and he's he's actually making us good at corners. 
Yeah, I was actually reading the um, uh, actually just before the uh, Cardiff game that Dwight McNeil was uh, released by Man United because he wasn't very good at set pieces, which is kind of ironic because it's it's what got us got us the lead on Saturday. But um, yeah, we spoke about Dwight McNeil before about the impact he's had on us, especially in our turning fortunes this uh, this year. Um, you could argue we got two assists on Saturday. Obviously, he played a major part in the second goal. Um, but I, I thought his, his all-round play again on Saturday was just excellent. And I think defensively, he's getting more mature. If, if you, you start to see him uh, helping out Charlie Taylor defensively, and he's really uh, growing into the into the role now. Yeah, he really is. And I think um, I was watching, um, obviously, I'm sure most of you do, when Burnley win, I, I don't go on a media blackout and I watch everything that I can possibly watch and every single replay that I can. And I think goals on Sunday, they were talking about um, Burnley's first goal. And, and the reaction was, oh, Burnley tech score a goal from a set piece again. And they were very much of the opinion that we're well known for being set piece specialists and, and that quite surprised me now I'm always a little bit reluctant to put too much weight on what comes out in the media because I think there is um an ignorance about teams uh, around the bottom of the league and certainly those outside the top six by the major broadcasters anyway and actually a quick pause here one of the most ridiculous examples of this that I saw was um Friday night, the Newcastle-Leicester game. Was that Friday night? It was a Friday night game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, Newcastle put, pulled out a win and, and they were on the pitch after the game on, on, on Sky Sports talking about uh, Newcastle being safe. And, and Jamie Carragher just came out with it and just went, oh, yeah, he said, well, well rele- relegation's absolutely a straight shootout between Burnley and Cardiff. There's nobody else in it. And I was like, I'm sorry, What? Like, it's a straight shootout between Burnley and Cardiff. Okay, Jamie, you know that we're eight points clear of them, right? And also, we are above Newcastle still. Actually, I think Newcastle went above us. We're also above Southampton and Brighton, and we are five points clear of those who are below us in the table. So how is it a straight shootout? And it's just basically because he thinks Burnley are still probably one or two points above the relegation zone, and we're maybe down there. And, oh, yeah, Burnley and Cardiff play each other this weekend. That with absolutely no backup and no research whatsoever, it just declares on on Sky Sports that the relegation was a straight shootout between Burnley and Cardiff, even though the result of the weekend means that we went eight, 11 points clear. So, you know, but it was still an interesting point to, to, to think that football experts and that the national media have got us down as set-piece specialists. Um, Dave... Obviously, we know how well McNeil's doing and we know what he is doing in terms of, of some creativity. And I think you made this point last week um, that he'd got your man of the, uh, sorry, player of the season for that very reason, because your view was you thought that his second half of the season performances may very well be the, I guess, the re- the difference between us going down and staying up. Now, it's not just that, because we know that there have been other, other um, factors there. But hypothetically, and this is just for the purposes of, of, of entertainment, that's all, you take Dwight McNeil out of that side at the weekend, do we win as comfortably? Or are we certainly, by the time we score, creating those chances? Or do you think that Cardiff end up winning the game? 
well, taking him out just for that game might not have made much of a difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going back across a longer period of time, I think it's made a, a, a bigger difference. Um, I don't know. I, I think at, at the point we're at, I think the, um, uh, the 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 club's certainly got more confidence. The players seem to be playing with a lot more confidence now. We've seen that despite the run we had, um, four consecutive defeats, wasn't it? Um, that didn't really phase us. We've come back from that with uh, three consecutive wins now. So, um, they just seem to take it in the stride. I think it's um, may- maybe it's being in the division as long as we have now. The, the fact we've got some consistency, we're a bit more used to playing Premier League football, whereas previous seasons, you know, there's, there's always that um, little bit of doubt. I think um, in them, maybe just not that edge of confidence. We talk about margins. I think that's uh, very important in this league, um, particularly in the in the position we've been in this season or the position we put ourselves in after the first half of the season and the players have certainly um, got themselves out of it points wise but as you said already um, in terms of the performances um, they've really lifted as well and Dwight McNeil has been a big part of that no doubt about it and um, when you're talking about the set pieces we you'd neglect to mention the one against uh, Tottenham as well that was a, a Dwight McNeil corner that um uh, Chris Wood scored from for uh, in oh, that game as well, yeah, wasn't it? it? Was. Um, so he's, he's he's got numerous assists. I think his attacking play has just been the real impetus for us going forward. Um, and then other players have um, built on that as well. I think we we talked about you know we're trying to put our finger on what the issues were early in the season, um, and it, it was hard to put a, 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 put your finger on exactly what the issue was. Um, but having Dwight McNeil in the side, I think, has given us a bit more, certainly given us more going forward, and that seems to have taken a little bit of pressure off the rest of the players, and they seem to have um, coalesced around that, and you, you're almost thinking that now, you know, build a team around Dwight, you know, you, you've got a player in there who, not saying he's, he's, the, he's the only player who's capable of, um, of of going forward. We, you know, we've got two strikers now. You shouldn't uh, forget about it. We've got two strikers now in um, double figures for Premier League goals this season. That's the first time uh, we've had that in a Premier League season, which is another uh, another plus for us. Um, but yeah, it, you look at Sean Dyche and, and, and what he's going to do. He's got a player who's kind of come out of left field a little bit. Um, he, he played at the start of the season, came on, did really well in uh, um, European matches played a little bit of a bit part in terms of few sub appearances uh, between then and then since uh, Boxing Day has come in and he's been uh, you know really really impressive for us. I mean, as I said in last week's podcast, um, you almost think can you possibly give Player of the Season to someone who's effectively only played a little over half a season? Um, I, I think he's made that much of a difference to the side that. Well, I stand behind that uh, comment from last week. It'll be interesting to see the vote and who ends up as the uh, the final winner. And also, if they give a breakdown as well, it'll be interesting to see who uh, who else is up there. If he doesn't get it, um, who else is uh, getting the percentages across the votes? Because at the end of the day, it's one it's a fan vote, uh, one person, one vote, um, and everyone gets a say. So it'll be lots of votes going in over the next uh, week or two, I imagine, before the uh, Player of the Year awards. Uh, they do certainly give a um, a breakdown. I'm pretty sure that's in previous years. I don't remember actually a season where we've had more than a couple of players who were so close where you can't really call them. Like you say, there's Westwood, Charlie Taylor, there is Dwight McNeil. You have got quite a few in there. And 
in a lot of seasons, it's been pretty clear who was going to get it. Um, this season, I genuinely don't know. Um, moving on, young Robbie, um, as has been the case in a lot of se- lot of games this season, the Clarets didn't quite come out in the second half the same way as they finished the first half. We have been a little vulnerable, I think, to a sluggish start to second half performances. Now, it came as no surprise that Cardiff came out all guns blazing because they essentially had 45 minutes to try and save their season. And we didn't really adapt. And from some real um, ferocious (laughs) play from, from Cardiff, we got ourselves into all sorts of penalty drama. Talk us through it all. Yeah, it was all a bit scrappy and messy, wasn't it? It did, it did take us a while to to really settle into the second half. I actually, after all the penalty stuff, I thought it would, would be us to actually finally settle down and Cardiff to maybe lose their heads a little bit and lose their focus. And it settled Cardiff down more, even more, if anything. And they, you know, they kept playing and they kept putting the ball into the box like they did. But yeah, the penalties, I'm really mixed on them all. The first one's not a penalty. Like where it hits Ben Mee on the arm, where it's down by his side, you can't give them. The second one, I can see why it would be given, but again, I can, I, I think it is harsh uh, because it's. I think it hits Ben Mee in the face, which is the the turning point for me. I think if Ben Mee actually forehead actually makes contact with the ball with his forehead onto the arm. I think it is a penalty then, but it smacks him in the face. I think it is its face, isn't it? Yeah. So I think. Yeah. Well, well let's let's stick with those two because I think that out of the four penalties, I think the two that have caused the most drama are those first two. And I think yeah. I agree with you, Robbie, in that neither one of them was a penalty. But what what was your head thinking at the point that the whistle does go for the second one, the the face to arm? And Mike Dean sort of points to his spot, then points at his linesman as well, and obviously the Cardiff. Pans are all up and down. They're shouting and screaming because they think they've got a penalty and cheering. What, what was going through your mind at that point? Uh, I'm not sure. I think I wasn't really angry or anything like that because I'm I'm up in the um, Jimmy Mac upper, so I'm quite far away from it all. But it didn't look natural the way Ben it, the way the ball bounced. Uh, I didn't actually see the ball. Obviously, see the ball hit Ben me or the, or the arm, but it just didn't look natural in the way the ball would be cleared. So you knew something had happened, and then when you see, I saw the linesman flagging first, and then you just, and then my heart sank a little bit, and the penalty is given. Now I'm thinking, oh, here we go, here comes the the Cardiff comeback, and I thought we, I thought we really struggled to get back into the game after that. But once the referee went to the linesman, I, th- I thought, oh, maybe uh, he's just clarifying something, than which he was, and. I was actually quite surprised that it got overturned and then I was reading Twitter and stuff like that and Chris Borden like, confirmed that it wasn't a penalty and uh, obviously my older brother does the big screen as well so and he was saying it's not a penalty. So that um, I was quite comfortable with it all in the end. It did add a very weird dynamic to the game though, didn't it, Dave? I mean, I'm not sure I've seen an incident like that at turf anyway, um, not for a while. Um, but of course, I think that is becoming the norm in football now. And next season when VAR gets in- introduced, we're going to see that a lot where um, officials take some time to actually um, change them, not change their mind, but make sure the decision's been correct. Um, I guess, Dave, what, what do you think Mike Dean was saying to his referee, uh, to his linesman? You know, what kind of conversations can he possibly be having there? 
Uh, well, I was quite surprised in the first place because the, the, the side the linesman was at and the way that the ball came across and where Ben Mee was, it would have been very difficult for the linesman to be able to tell from that position, I thought. Um, I mean, it's one of those when it happens, the referee gives a penalty, you think it's going to be a penalty. You've, you've almost resigned yourself to it. Um, there's a chink of hope, I think, isn't there, when uh, he goes over and has a chat with his linesman, you think, well, yeah, may, may, maybe they're going to change their mind, but uh, they very rarely do. What what was interesting, and, and going back and discovering after the game, um, and, and uh, the Cardiff manager um, and, and his um, thoughts after the match, um, what I hadn't realised was there's a, a well a similar incident in terms of a penalty being overturned in a Cardiff match this season. So um, uh, the, in, it, when they played Huddersfield, um, Huddersfield got a um, uh, sorry, which way round was it? Uh, the, the, the basically the, the, the decision went in Cardiff's favour, um, and it's selective memory, isn't it, from uh, from Neil Warnock in terms of the decisions? It'll it'll go on. Uh, about the decisions going against him, but there was a decision very similar with the referee overturning the decision, decision, but in Cardiff's favour against Huddersfield not that long ago. That was um, early this year. So it's one of those things. I, I think in the end, the referee did get the decision right. When you've got the benefit of the replays, I think in the end, he got it right. Um, you think it's very difficult for them, isn't it, for the referees and the and the linesmen because they only get one chance and they, at the moment. They don't get replays. Um, so in those in- instances, I guess he's got to be sure that it's a penalty between them. They've they've come to the decision, and in the end, Cardiff fans will disagree. But I think um, I think most neutrals think again it was um, on Sky earlier today in terms of the uh, the ref watch that they do um, and querying all the penalty uh, calls that Cardiff got. Um, and saying that none of them were interestingly though um the suggestion that Ashley Barnes was offside and interfering for the first goal, so that should have uh, possibly been disallowed, so that's one we haven't covered when we talk about the chances from the first half well yeah, well, let's go back to that in in, in a minute because that's you're right that's that's not something that I'd particularly thought of because of some media coverage on that um the point that you were saying about about referees and and managers having short memories um you know one of the, the pieces that i wrote in um for those of you who've not seen it i've been, I've been writing a weekly column for the lancashire telegraph at the moment the none of podcast we've been um we've been working alongside the telegraph and um, one of the points i made last week i think was that um warnock's been bemoaning very much been bemoaning his the his side's bad luck this season and of course he has got a short memory as dave rightly said about the the overturn That's it was right. huddersfield yeah. um yeah, they got a penalty that Cardiff had conceded and the, the linesman incorrectly overturned it. And, of course, he's not mentioning that. Um, but similarly, um, Sean Dyche has found himself coming under fire quite a lot this weekend. Um, I don't particularly like to give this clown a lot of airtime, but Adrian Dunham, Durham was going absolutely mental on drive time tonight. Um, he was calling Sean Dyche every single name under the sun, saying he was a disgrace, that... Um, Sean, Sean Dyche's conduct after the Cardiff game for him is the biggest evidence that a code of conduct for managers has to be brought into the game because if that happens to Burnley um, Sean Dyche goes absolutely livid and for Sean Dyche to come out afterwards and say that Mike Dean made a very brave call and made a very sensible call and there's no way that the linesman Dave as you just rightly said could see it from his angle um he deserves some praise and Durham's going mad at him and I've seen a few other press articles as well they've basically said that Sean Dyche's reaction was pretty appalling after the game and he should have had some sympathy for for, for Warnock and I just think 
Well, yes, managers do have a very short memory in a lot of instances, but that's not something I can particularly um, throw at Sean Dyche. I don't think he's one for... You know, he's not the Arsene Wenger brigade of, oh, I didn't see it type thing. He is quite honest. He is quite, um, I guess, reflective when a decision goes against him. He gets angry, but he does say, you know, it'll even itself out by the end of the season. I tend to not get angry when it goes with us. I tend to not get too excited about our look and not too apologetic when it goes for us. But I think for me, Sean Dyche has deserved the right to be able to say, well, actually, yeah, I'm all right with that decision because we've had so many decisions go against us the other way. Um, I just I just find it really interesting. Um, Robbie Dave started to mention then, um, and actually we, we, we cut you short a little bit before just because I wanted to talk through that whole Mike Dean episode and, and as you'd said, about calming the players down and, and how even though neither of them were penalties, the Cardiff players still feel aggrieved. And weirdly, the press seemed to be saying, I don't know if you actually, one quick um, pause on this. I keep hearing and keep reading in the press analysis of the two Ben Mee handballs and universally everybody's saying, no, absolutely not penalties, great decision, well done the referee. And then literally the very next sentence that comes out of the mouth is, oh, but aren't Cardiff, how unlucky have they been? And, you know, they've been absolutely um, shafted them by another bad, you know, by another really unlucky decision. And you go, huh? Well, what? How can they? How can they? Or how can you say how lucky have Cardiff been? But then, in the literally the sentence before, you've said neither a penalty. But anyway, who knows what happens in in football reporting these days? Um, Robbie, there were two other um, penalty decisions um, that I want you to talk through. The first one was Charlie Taylor on Gunnison, um, which I think a lot of people are suggesting probably was a penalty. Um, and there was a very late incident where Tarky fell on the floor and kind of chested it away, which a lot of people are suggesting from some angles was a handball. Um, either of them penalties for you? Uh, I think the Charlie Taylor one is. Um, I think you could argue there's probably a foul on Taylor in, in, uh, when they both go into the box, but I think I just think Taylor is just out-muscled. Um, and then as he's falling down, I just think he sticks a leg out in terms of a, sort of like a, a desperate lunge and he brings down Gunnison. I, I personally think that is a penalty. I would be miffed if Burnley hadn't got that, if it was Dwight, Dwight McNeil going into the box, for example. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the, the, the Tarkovsky one in injury time, that comes off his knee. I think that's quite clear. Uh, when it was live, I actually thought it was handball. Like obviously, like I said, I'm in the Jimmy Mack, but the way he falls down, it just didn't look right at all. And then I, I was adamant that were a penalty. But when you see it back, it does straight, it just catapults off his knee and out for a corner. So yeah, just a Charlie Taylor one for me. I do, I do, I am in the camp that I think we got away with that one. Yeah, I think I probably agree with that. Um, Dave, one of the numerous whinges that our friend Collins had this weekend was. A bizarre comment about when these whole penalty decisions were going against Cardiff, that he wishes that his players had surrounded the referee like the Burnley boys do. Now, that to me was incredibly bizarre on the grounds that that is the one thing that we don't do. We don't get in referees' faces and maybe we should do more of it. I mean, that's just 
a ludicrous Well, you said it without a hint of irony as well, because from, from where I was looking, there was Cardiff players uh, around the referee for a lot of the match, both leading up to that inc- incident and uh, other times during the game as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly not something that, that Burnley do in comparison to some of the other teams we see um, play against. I mean, you've got some players who are almost shadowing the referee at times and uh, are in their, their ear um, throughout the game. And Burnley don't tend to be that sort of side. Um, and they certainly weren't on Saturday. So um, quite where he's got that from, I'm, I'm not too sure. Perhaps he uh, perhaps he needs to go to Specsavers. <laughs> oh, nice reference. I like it. Uh, I think that just confirms what we already knew is that Neil Warnock doesn't really know what he's talking about. Um, sticking with you, Dave, just because I can't wait to hear Robbie's... <laughs> final comments on this so I'm going to come to you first for some sensible analysis before Robbie goes into well goes off on one and the only other controversial point of the game was Ashley Barnes's red nope yellow card could have been a red yellow card for his slightly amorous (laughs) reaction to being fouled and being um, squared up to by Cardiff's Joe Bennett fair yellow card do you think I don't know. I mean, it's something and nothing. It's um, it, it, we wonder what I mean, we couldn't tell at the time. Again, where where I'm sat, it's too far away to see exactly what's going on. It's only really when you see the picture um, afterwards. Obviously, the referee's close enough to the action to uh, to see what's going on there. I think it's something and nothing. And uh, I mean, even to get a yellow card for it seemed uh, harsh to me. Go on, Robbie. Off you go. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was really funny. I don't think there was anything in it. Um, I just thought it was just a little bit of fun. That's it. That's not what you were saying. What were you saying off air about just being Ashley Barnes being Ashley Barnes? Yeah, it's just, it is just Ashley Barnes being Ashley Barnes. It's his typical tell He does it every week. Like, <laughs> it, it was, it's funny. Like <laughs> He took it to another level on Saturday. I'm sorry that if I'm going to be the killjoy, and I know you two are both perfectly all right with this, but I thought he crossed a line on Saturday. I just don't think he can do that. It's a mass- It's funny because it's Ashley Barnes and... We were all talking before we started recording tonight. There's there's almost a a category of player who gets away with that kind of behaviour as people be seeing it as just a bit of a laugh. I'm talking about your Joy Bartons, your Jimmy Bullards, your Robbie Savages, and and, and obviously your Ashley Barnes in those um, points as well. If it had been anybody else, if it had been say, Joe Bennett kissing Dwight McNeil, we'd have been going mad. We really would. We'd have been really annoyed at him. And I just I just think, I understand why he did it. And I don't think there was any malice in it. I, well, I don't even think that's not a, a case. There definitely wasn't any malice in it. And he was clearly trying to joke around a bit to diffuse the situation. And you can almost see in the footage, Joe Bennett is, is stifling a bit of a laugh, I think. I think he's just like, oh my God, I can't believe we just did that. But still, for me, I think that he crossed a line. I just don't think you can invade somebody's personal space and can make just, physical I, contact. Sorry, Natalie. Of course. Um, Go I, on, Robbie. I, I tell you what, I'd rather him kiss, him, kiss, kiss Joe Bennett on the nose and actually throw his head in there. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's Yeah, that's... He can kiss yeah, someone every not week. Not a question. Like, yeah. Absolutely. If he's going to get, you know, absolutely. And I don't, that's not the argument for me. I think he was, I'd much rather him do that than than start when I, the point I'm making is, is that in an ideal world, I'd rather he did neither. I'd rather than he just kept himself out of it. It's just people were 
the, the question's been raised because people have sort it's such a bizarre incident and it has captured the headlines that a lot of people say, well, why has he got a yellow card for that? And I'm just saying I understand and I support the yellow card because I think it was a step too far. That's all I'm saying. And actually, in, in today's day and age and with a lot of um, sensitivity around people's personal space and such an... It is an, an slightly intimate act. He's in his face and he kisses him twice. He, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if further action is taken against him. I'm not saying there will be. But the point I'm making is is that I do think that even by Ashley Barnes' standards, that maybe crossed a line a little bit. Um, I don't think there was anything else that I particularly wanted to pull from the game. Um, the only other thing, Dave, was... Um, Again, we, we we just keep running out of things that we can say about young Dwight McNeil. But I think one thing that impressed me most about the second goal and one that sealed it, um, obviously it's deep into injury time. Cardiff are pushing for an equaliser. There is at this point, obviously, only a one-goal deficit. Um, McNeil takes the ball on the, on the wing. He pushes away one defender with ease, runs past another two, and you just think he's going to head into the corner. But no, he's got other ideas. And for him at that stage in the game, at 19 years of age, as tired as he was, to get past three players and put that ball into the box was something else. Well, yeah, you've got to remember again, it's um, another game, yet another one this season, where we haven't made any substitutions. We've gone through the whole 90 minutes um, every single player who's mm. started the game has, uh, has played the full 90 minutes. And we know how... Um, how much ground the Burnley players cover. They're, they're, they're pressing for their lives in the game. So to do that um, shows great level of fitness from the players. Um, and, yeah, Dwight McNeil, he had no fear there, basically went past Cardiff's players who they, they looked like they'd been playing for two lots of 90 minutes, uh, got the ball in, and it fell really nicely for uh, Chris Wood. Couldn't miss from uh, uh, a foot out from goal and uh, settled the, the matter. There was uh, no coming back from uh, from that in the 90th minute. No, there wasn't. But I think I think that's what I mean. It was just that the, the level of confidence that McNeil showed. Everybody knew he should have been going to the corner. And I think I don't think he was reckless either. I don't think he took an unnecessary risk. I think he was he was that sure he'd waded up. And I think probably in his head he thought he was going to go into the corner and waste some time. But he spotted an opportunity and knew he had the skill to get past these defenders. Dave, you're absolutely right. These Cardiff players look like they've been playing two lots of 90 minutes. I think that's what I was getting at earlier on when I was talking about how we look like a more established Premier League side. We are fitter than these relegation sides. We, we are a little bit more skillful and we are... Um, just better tactically and I think that last kick of the game kind of epitomised that for me with the way that McNeil just drove at those defenders and put that ball in and the fact that Chris Wood was still alert enough to make sure it definitely went over the line um, it just for me it just showed a, a real strength of character um, safe now Robbie 11 points clear 4 games to go Cardiff of course got 15 games 15 points, they haven't got 15 games, 15 points to try and get, but uh, it's going to be a big ask to overturn. So they're going to have to effectively win four of their last five and we're going to have to lose all of the next four, aren't they? I, I think we're done, aren't we? Yeah, I've, I, I just can't see us being dragged into it now. Um, it, it, it's definitely a straight shootout between Brighton and Cardiff. I still, I, 
on the, on the evidence that Cardiff should, I still think they can stay up because Brighton, Brighton were woeful on Saturday. I do think they have a bit of a slight bit of a chance for Cardiff, but you do you do fear for them. You do they look like a side who just lack quality. Um, I think they played. I think they played quite well second half against us. I think they were probably the better side second half, but a bit like what we were in the 14-15 season where they just didn't have the quality just to to really. Uh, have any real impact on the game yeah that's interesting you know I'm going to call this and we'll see what Dave has to say when we come to him in a minute I don't think it's going to be Cardiff that goes down I, okay let's be realistic if if they lose to Brighton or even draw against Brighton it's over and I think they're down but I've just got this feeling it's going to be Brighton and not Cardiff um, how do you feel Dave are we done uh, well, you you want to be mathematically safe, so you 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 keep that in mind. But yeah, the the, the distance we put between ourselves and Cardiff, um, the games they've got left, you think we're going to pick up something in those four games? I know they are tough matches we've uh, we've got still to play, but um, yeah, I mean you look at the well, I think the bookmakers odds now have us at two hundred and fifty to one to get relegated. If that's uh, uh, any guide, so if you if you're still really concerned, oh, put, wow, put, really? put two quid on at two hundred and fifty to one, and if the worst happens, then you've got a free championship season ticket for next season. But no, it's not it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, I, you said that last season, and I did love it. <laughs> that last yeah. episode. In, in terms of the again, look at some of the um, models. Some of the people I follow on Twitter actually update and and show the percentage likelihood of. Um, teams winning the titles, obviously the, the Liverpool Man City one sort of head and head and head to head. Uh, that's quite interesting, uh, neck and neck going into the last few games, um, and looking like it's possible they might both go through and, and not drop any points, which is uh, incredible. Uh, but down the bottom now, I think it's, they still have it something like less than a ten percent chance of uh, Brighton going down. So they still see the fact that um, the fact that Cardiff are that many points behind with the games left. And the fixtures they've got left. Obviously, the game against Brighton is going to be a crunch one. Um, and if they do win that one, then you know, that that does put a different slant on things. But I think in terms of um, likelihoods, it's still uh, Cardiff that are most likely to go down. Um, and I think on the balance of the season, if that was the case, and if they went down with uh, Fulham and Huddersfield, I don't think too many people could have any arguments with that in terms of the the full season. Um, that does seem to be a fair reflection of the Premier League and the, the three uh, weakest teams going back down to the Championship. Yeah. Um, while you're on stats then, Dave, and, and I don't want to necessarily go through these in depth because I'm conscious that we've already looked at this when we played Chelsea the last time. Um, and also there's a couple of other things I want to cover before we, we run out of time for this week's episode. But you know, we, obviously we start that that run of tough games away um, at Chelsea on at the weekend. Um, just talk us through some headline terms that we, we perhaps didn't cover or have maybe been updated since the um, the, the, the return fixture. Um, at the early part of the season, what what we're looking like with the Chelsea game? Well, for the comparison, we only look in terms of the uh, the venue. So obviously, when we looked at it for Chelsea earlier in the season, we're doing the games at um, at Turf Moor. Now we're looking in terms of the ones at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Burnley have a decent sort of record down there. We look um, at forty eight matches we played in total. We've actually got sixteen victories. When you look at the percentage of that compared to some of the other sides we played, you know your Liverpool's and Man United's, Man City's, it's um, actually quite a lot better. But that's masked by the fact that a lot of those games, a lot of those wins, were much earlier in time. Uh, when you come to more recent times, there are um, not too many, although a notable one, um, of course, at the start of last season, uh, the 3-2 victory on the uh, on the opening day, 3-0 up at half-time, 
and managing to hold on for a 3-2 win. Um, the last uh, league victory uh, before that was back in 1971 when uh, Jimmy Adamson uh, was manager. Uh, Burnley managed to win 1-0 with a Steve Kindon goal. And then in between then, it's been uh, draws and losses, although within that one draw, where the stats um, say it, if it gets to um, after extra time and it's still a draw then, from a stats point of view, it's still a draw, but it went to a penalty shootout in the uh, Carling Cup when we were down there, of course, in November 2008. Um, Adi had got the uh, the goal for Burnley in normal time, uh, equaliser from uh, Didier Drogba, and then Burnley went on to win 5-4 on penalties and uh, obviously went a lot further in the Carling Cup that season, uh, only to be knocked out by uh, Tottenham Hotspur in the semi-final. Yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff, and I, I do... It's a funny one, really, because even though the stats tell us something very different, Dave, I always... Chelsea's a team that I always feel like we could get something from. Does that sound crazy? Like, I was looking at these last four fixtures and we knew that we were in trouble if we hadn't got the points on the board by then. But I genuinely feel that we could get something at the weekend. I saw them play the Liverpool side game yesterday and I thought they looked all over the place. I mean, am I being daft thinking that? No, I mean, we, we, as well as the victory as well, we had the uh, 1-1 draw, didn't we? That, we were talking about the 2014-2015 season. That was the uh, uh, the one with the uh, Matic sending off, wasn't it? And uh, Ben Mee getting the equalising goal uh, late on in that game. So, you know, we, we're capable of getting a result down there. It won't be easy, we know that. Going away to, uh, to these sides, going to play the likes of Liverpool and, and Man City, Man United, Tottenham, Chelsea, they are really, really tough games to go to. If you can get anything at all from those games, it's a its a massive result. Um, but it can be done. We showed that um, last season. Perhaps playing them at the start of the season uh, was, was a good time to play them. Um, but the players still had to go out there and do the business and, and get the three points, and they did that. So, uh, I mean, thankfully, we're in a position where we don't need um, a win. But again, you know, we've 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 seen how well we've done this uh, second half of the season. Um, I've not actually seen the table for the uh, performance. If you had a table just for the second half of the season, but I think we'd be we'd be right up there, wouldn't we, in terms of the uh, uh, a league table just for the time since Boxing Day. If you look at the second half of the season, um, but we've, we've got four really tough games to uh, to come. Anything out of those will be a bonus. But on on our day. Anything's possible. I mean, we've seen before. Um, I mean, we, we, we're due a victory over Manchester City, aren't we? Because we always beat the uh, the reigning champions in our Premier League season. So that's three points there for a start. Yeah, I like it. I like your positivity, Dave. Always makes me feel better. Um, Robbie, final word from you. Do, do we stand any chance of getting anything at the weekend? Yeah, I'm feeling kind of positive. So I, I think Ooh, we could. I, I love it. Who are you? I, know. I, I, don't, know. I don't know what's going on. I've, 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 I love Sean Dyche again. It's really weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> but actually, just, just going on what Dave was saying then about our turnaround in the second half of the season. Imagine if we had the points what we've just picked up in 2019. Imagine if we started the season like that and all like excited we'd be about another possible European campaign. I've got a better one. I've got a better one than that. Imagine the first half of last season with the second half of this season. Oh, Ooh, gosh. We might have even Champions caught Arsenal. Yeah. 
<laughs> we'd be singing the champions <laughs> where we'd be, we'd be going with that big uh, big what is it the big star sign on on television we'd be playing in the top four that'd be exciting um a quick note before we do leave um just a little bit of news coming outside of the club and um, it's been announced on the club website today that burnley fc women have secured their second successive promotion uh, they've won the title and next season will be playing their football in the fa women's national league north which for those of you who are not um following ladies football that securely uh, securely that closely um that is the third tier uh, of English football and that's a huge achievement for our girls uh, I think the, the feeling and certainly the statement coming out of the club is that we, we have got a ladies side that we can be really proud of and they can really push on and try and make the name for themselves in in women's football so congratulations ladies we are all super proud of you um, and we can't wait to, to follow you next season and see what you get up to um, that's all we've got time for this week and we are all delighted we're all still waving our up the Clarets flags that we were all given at, at Turf on Saturday, which I would add were a considerable amount better than the ones against Wolves. They were obviously a bit bigger and <laughs> better to wave. Um, and we're all delighted. And I think it's been a tough season. There's been some ups and downs. There's been some um, very polarising views. There's been some very strong opinions. There's been conflict between fans as to where we go from here, what's gone wrong, what's gone right, what do we do about it? Um but by the end of the season, we all got there and there's a lot to learn from this season and there's a lot that we can look back on in terms of, of, of I guess, what ultimately proved, proved to be another successful season and one we're hugely proud of. It looks to the world that Burnley are going to be playing their fourth successive season in the Premier League next season, which is incredible. Um, I don't think we can underestimate that regardless of, of last season, regardless of, of the downs of this season. That is impressive by anybody's books and we're all super proud of our boys and our team goes again next season. Um, and hopefully you'll be with us. Um, you know, I think it's one for the fans is this one and it's one for, for all of us. It's a, it's a real victory. Um, thanks this week as ever go to producer Matt who is back from holiday thank goodness the brains of the operation and the guy who definitely has my back for more times than I care to admit is back at the helm um, and he will be editing this week's podcast and making it sound all snazzy so thanks Matt um, thanks again to, to Robbie and to Dave who are as ever for the whole of this season have been a constant here and, and providing an analysis with me here on the podcast um, thank you to both of you um, but finally thanks go to you for, for downloading and listening to this podcast we would not be here without you and your support is very much appreciated I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Known and Never podcast until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.